The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they'll discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, well, you're absolutely in the right place. It's Tuesday here and we are live. As the gentleman said, Future of the Future with Game Changers. Let's see what the buzz on the street is, or I should say the buzz around the globe. Oh, my. We found a quote from a writer named Jonathan Blum who wrote in businessinsider.com about the future-proof entrepreneur. Let me read the quote. This is very telling. He wrote, pesky thing tomorrow. Day after day, it shows up and brings technological innovation that alters the best laid plans of every business owner. Managing for the future isn't easy. Well, oh my, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Our topic is future-proof your business digital solutions now. That means today. So let's talk about a little bit more. Smart business leaders today, and I'm assuming everybody in our global listening audience considers themselves smart. Of course, you're listening to Game Changers and that helps. Smart business leaders know that tomorrow's competitive edge requires rapid innovation across their organization today. Now think about that. Rapid is fast. Innovation means keep thinking forward across the organization. That means not just in silos. There are a lot of challenges built into that that sentence. How are you going to get there? Well, by developing capabilities that leverage and combine innovative technologies. Come on, you know what we're going to talk about. Machine learning, Internet of Things, fondly known as IoT, AI, artificial intelligence, not so artificial anymore, blockchain, the ledger system, analytics, big data, Oh my, oh my, oh my, a lot to chew on here. Are you ready for use cases? Well, We're going to give you a whole bunch. We have a great panel today. Let me just tell you quickly who they are, and then we will hear their opening quotes. First up, in just a moment, it will be my pleasure to introduce Darwin Deano, D-E-A-N-O, a a principal at Deloitte. And shout out to Carla Neal and all of our good friends at Deloitte. He's joined on the panel by a newcomer to Game Changers, Patricia Florisi. She is the global CTO for Dell EMC Sales. She has an amazing, amazing credentials in her bio. It was so long we had to cut it back. Just she's really achieved a lot and I have to do a shout out to her colleague at Dell EMC Teresa Wade who is listening and tweeting thank you Teresa and rounding out the panel is Satya Narasimhan a senior director of partner business development at SAP so let's get started with the quotes Darwin Diano has sent us one of the quotes we love we adore this it's from Wayne Gretzky come on Wayne Douglas Gretzky CC Canadian former professional hockey ice ice hockey player and former head coach uh, among his many actors Accolades. He played 20 seasons in the National Hockey League for four teams. He's nicknamed the Great One. He's been called the greatest hockey player ever. And he has more assists than any other player scored total points. He's the only National Hockey League player to total over 200 points in one season. And he didn't do it once. He didn't do it twice. He didn't do it three times. He did it four times. So here's a very wise quote from Wayne Gretzky. Quote, 
you miss 100% of the shots you never take. Darwin Diano, welcome to Game Changers. How are you, Darwin? I am very good, Bob. Happy to have you here. Talk to me. You a big hockey fan? How come you're picking up one of our favorite quotes from Wayne Gretzky? Because it's a, absolutely true. Tell me how this applies to our topic today. Darwin, are you there? Kevin, do we still have Darwin? Darwin? I think Darwin dropped. You know what? We're going to have to get him back on the line because we can't hear Darwin. So, you know what? I'm going to move on and we're going to just put that Wayne Gretzky quote on hold and I'm going to move on to our next guest. Uh, Kevin, let me know when Darwin rejoins, please. For some reason, he sounded great and boom, he was gone. Okay. Yeah, no, he's gone. Okay. I know he was going to have a good time. Patricia Fleurisy at Dell EMC. Patricia has sent us a quote from Mark Twain, also one of our favorites. Mark Twain, original name Samuel Langorn Clemens, born 1835, lived to 1910, and he was an American writer, humorist, entrepreneur, publisher, and lecturer. He wrote The Adventures of Tom Sawyer and its sequel, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. And guess what? If somebody says to you, hey... I just talked to you and said so much it was the great American novel. Well, that was the nickname for The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, the great American novel. Here's the quote Patricia has selected. 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the ones you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, discover. Patricia, I feel like I'm in some kind of a motivational seminar. How are you, Patricia Florizzi? I'm doing very well, and I hope you can hear me well. I can hear you perfectly, and we're so delighted to have you on the show. Patricia, how did you pick this quote? We're talking about business, future-proofing, and now Mark Twain is telling us to catch the trade winds in our sails and explore and dream. So relate the quote to me, please. I actually believe that we are living in our professional lives, uh, all the uh, dream and uh, aspirations that we actually have on our personal lives. We are living in a special moment where everything is going to become digital, where um, computing and connectivity is so pervasive along our lives that we need to imagine together a new future. And I believe that in businesses, somehow we take a conservative approach that we actually wait for others to take the lead and then we'll follow. We are afraid of taking risks. And I actually love this quote because now is the time to explore, dream, and discover and be a little bit unafraid of the consequences because not trying is going to have a much bigger negative impact than actually trying and failing and learning the process along the way. Interesting. Patricia, you know, I, I hear some dreaming in here in this quote. I hear exploration. And in business, we like to use the word innovate, but we don't often pair it with these poetic words, explore, dream, discover. And don't you think it'd be so much more fun going to work if somebody says, today is innovation day. We're going to explore. We're going to dream. We're going to discover. And our in absentia memorialized guest speaker is Mark Twain. Wouldn't that be a delightful experience, Patricia? Perhaps that's how I see the world. You have just articulated how I come to work every day. 
Very, very interesting. And by the way, I did mention in my opening about Mark Twain, he was an entrepreneur. So he would probably really appreciate, what would he say if he knew, Patricia, that somebody had invented something called the Internet where we are talking to each other wirelessly in a, in a essence, not in the same room. We can't see each other. We have a radio station in Phoenix that is bringing us all together. We're broadcasting all over the world. Somebody explored, dreamed, and discovered. Wouldn't you say he would be excited to know that we're still talking about him? What do you think? I think that one of the things that Mark Twain loved the most was exploring, number one, but also cross-pollinating. I think he was one of the greatest cross-pollinators ever in history. And I think that the Internet actually gives us a way to exchange knowledge and to exchange ideas and explore new ways in a much more efficient way. He would be delighted. I, you know what? I agree with you. I was hoping you would say that. I think he would be really, really tickled. He'd probably write another great American novel, but he would probably do it in a blog, Patricia. <laughs> 500 to 1,000. How many novels he would have written? That's right. He would do it 1,000 words at a time in a blog, and people would say, what? Why so long? Say, wow, this is Mark Twain. This is really cool. Patricia, such a pleasure to meet you. I know we have a lot more to talk with you about during the show. I'm going to circle back to our first guest who dropped, and he is back. It's Darwin Diano, principal at Deloitte. And Darwin, uh, I think just before you dropped, I had introduced the quote, your quote from Wayne Gretzky. You miss 100% of the shots you never take. So, Darwin, I hope you're back for good. We need a good connection from you. Darwin, officially welcome to Game Changers and talk to me about this quote, you miss 100% of the shots you never take. How does this relate to our topic? And are you a Wayne Gretzky fan? I I absolutely am. And um, actually, the quote is very central to the theme of future-proofing your business, right? Um, Any enterprise that has existed for more than 10 years is wired for status quo, that's the unfortunate reality. Mm. Um, with the focus on profitability, while by itself it's a good objective, it has yielded an army of followers um, who are you know, afraid to take risk and put innovation in a pedestal. Um, so you know, I'm not talking about reckless risk because Wayne Gretzky was not reckless. It's about you know, future-proofing your business by being open to exploration, being decisive to take action and not letting perfect be the enemy of good. Very, very interesting. You know, Darwin, there's a favorite phrase used very often in design thinking workshops. I've been told, I haven't taken one, it's fail fast and fail often. We don't punish people for failure failure as long as they learn from the failure and they come back refreshed quickly and they fix whatever was wrong and they keep trying. So what I think there was a quote from, uh, was it Einstein or um, uh, the... Yes, I'm trying to think of Alexander Graham Bell. Uh, I didn't fail 10,000 times. It just took me 999 times to get it right, something like that. So what's your thought? Uh, What you said was very profound, Darwin. What's your thought about fail fast, fail often in this environment where, uh, as Patricia just quoted Mark Twain, explore, dream, discover. You're going to have some mistakes, some failures, some I'll call them oops or missteps along the way. What's what's your thought about what Gretzky would say about that? I... I absolutely think you would agree, right? Um, Because uh, the ability to take calculated risks, to innovate, to push the boundaries is very critical, uh, very critical to to the modern enterprise. 
um, you know, uh, speaking of design thinking, you know, another aspect that to me um, is implied by the Wayne Gretzky code is the fact that you have to internalize it, right? Um, you know, one of my design thinking colleagues would say, you know, I do not do design thinking. I am design, right? So, so that internalization is very important and taking risks where it makes sense to help move the needle on business value is absolutely a critical skill that, you know, will be, will be valuable to years to come and certainly very critical now. Thank you very much, Darwin. We are so pleased to have you, and I understand you're on a landline now, and we are very happy because you sound great. So stay exactly where you are, and thank you for joining <laughs> us. And again, shout-out to Carla Neal and all of our good friends at Deloitte. Now, let's get to our SAP panelist. It's Satya Narasimhan, Senior Director for Partner Business Development, and he has sent us a quote from Albert Einstein. Now, I looked up the source of this quote. Satya did. We both said, hmm, Really, Einstein? But you know what? We're going to go with it because on the Internet, everybody seems to think this is from Einstein. By the way, if you have been living or hiding under a rock for many, many years, Albert Einstein, 1879 to 1955, German-born theoretical physicist, often seen at a blackboard with wild, crazy white hair going in every direction, writing his, quote, his famous equation E equals MC squared, mathematical formula with the power to transcend the barriers of language and culture. That's what I have read. Uh, EM equals MC squared is considered the world's most famous equation. He was brilliant. Let's just leave it at that. Here is the quote. See if you, our listeners, think it really came from Einstein, and then we'll have Satya explain how it relates to our topic today. Here we go. Ultimate automation will make our modern industry as primitive and outdated as the Stone Age man looks to us today. Satya, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm doing great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me, and uh, honored to be here with um, you, Darwin, and Patricia. Thank you very much. You're very kind. So talk to me. Let's forget about whether it's really from Einstein. It's a really cool quote. So how does this quote relate to our topic today? It sounds like innovation, innovation, you can never really keep up. What do you think? So manual transmission cars and um, fixed landlines at home. How many of us can remember and relate to it? Um, probably all of us in the panel here now because we pretty much spend a lot of time in our life getting used to these technologies. Now, if we fast forward it to our children and their children, it's all going to sound museumish and antique, antiquated. Mm-hmm. So that's why I thought uh, Einstein's quote was really interesting because can you imagine the lifestyle that we just take for granted, um, the way you mentioned how Mark Payne would think about a radio show over the Internet a few decades or even 100 years from now? It's all going to look very um, Stone Age-type technology. <laughs> um, so to me, <laughs> that's why I thought uh, it's interesting to discuss um, the breakneck phase of innovation that's happening now in the context of the path we have been and also where we will be in the future. Very, very interesting. Uh, do you subscribe also to the quote that Patricia Florisi at Dell EMC shared from Mark Twain about catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, discover? Is that part of what we're talking about, part of this, this mental attitude, this embracing the future, meaning stop the safety, stop holding on to that, that harness and, and free fall? What do you think about that, Satya? Yes, so we need to underscore what Patricia said. The cost of not trying 
is more than um, the cost of trying itself. And then what that means is, just to throw some statistics, if you look at what steam engine did to us um, from the 1815s to 1910, the overall economy grew with the productivity of about 0.3%. And this is the work from our good friends at Harvard Business Review and McKinsey Global Institute have synthesized based on some scholarly work. Uh, just around the corner from the 1990s to the 2000, mid-2000, the productivity gain from information technology is double what, it, uh, what steam engine did to us, about 0.6%. So now back to Patricia's comment that cost of not trying is going to be more. Um, here, is the, here is why. Going forward in the next 50 years, the productivity gain um, expected from the combination of all these technologies you mentioned is expected mm-hmm. to be about 08 to 1.3%. I mean, just at the lower end, at 0.8% of the range, it's still more than all the standard of living improvement we got from the informational technology from the 19th through the 2000. So I think that works um, really well for this panel and the discussion we have today on how rapidly the innovation is changing, both the standard of living as well as the business environment, and uh, we need to keep up. Thank you very much. Very interesting quotes. Uh, Just to our listeners, so you know, we do not sit our panelists in a room, virtual or physical, and say, okay, let's look through a book of quotes. And okay, Patricia, you can take this one. Satya, you can take this one. And Darwin, you can take this one. This is all done independently. They don't see each other's prep. And I am so pleased and sometimes amazed at how astutely and cleverly they have picked the quotes, the inspirational quotes from very famous people. So thank you to the three of you. Now, we want to get a little up close and personal with the three of you. Uh, Actually, all three of you are newcomers to Game Changers, so we're going to initiate you here. This segment is called What's in Your Cup Today? So I'm going to ask you two questions, Darwin Deano at Deloitte. We'd love to know where are you calling from, what part of the world, and what are you drinking now if it's interesting and fun and makes you happy? If not, forget about what's in your cup. Tell me what's your favorite drink in the whole wide world. Darwin, talk to me. Perfect. So I'm calling in from Chicago, and these tall buildings can interfere with signals, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and what's in my cup? Uh, you know, it's exciting to me, right? It's the roasted seeds of the coffee plant or black coffee, untainted and pure. Right? T.S. Eliot said, I have measured out my life with coffee spoons. Well, by that definition, I've already lived five lifetimes, Bonnie. <laughs> Darwin, I've never heard that on the show in about 4,000 guests, six years, and about 1,000 shows. Oh, my. Measured out your life in coffee spoons. That is something else again. So tell me again, what, what is the drink called? This is interesting. What is the drink called? Oh, it's black coffee. Oh, just black coffee. Okay. I'll tell you a secret about me. I'm sorry. I was so interested in what you were saying. I was counting the spoons here. Uh, yes, I just use my finger if the coffee's not too hot, but I'll tell you my story in just a minute. Thank you, Darwin. Patricia Floresi, little rumor has it that you might be in Phoenix, Arizona, very close to where our radio series is broadcast from. Our, our uh, World Talk Radio Voice America engineer, Kevin, is there. So, Patricia, what part of Phoenix are you in, if that's true? And what would you love to be drinking today? 
I am actually at the Arizona Grand Resort and Spa. I'm participating in a conference on data interoperability uh, to drive industry um, uh, the, the industry ecosystems. I am drinking one of my favorite drinks in the U.S., uh, which is uh, almond milk uh, latte. But actually, I grew up in Brazil, and uh, I'm originally Brazilian. And my favorite drink in the world, which I wish I was uh, uh, in my, I had in my hands today, is actually a soda called Guaraná. And uh, Guarana is a plant that is named for the Guarani tribe in the Amazon because they actually found the seeds. And I'm sure you heard, but uh, the Guarana seed is actually used today for uh, medicinal medical reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, It's actually used for weight loss, fatigue, uh, low blood pressure, and many others. But uh, in Brazil, we actually make a unique soda. And uh, every child and every adult loves it. Well, Patricia, I warned you when I met you on our prep call that I love to do instant lookups on Google. And I found this. Here we go. Guarana is a Guarana-flavored soft drink originating in Brazil and manufactured and distributed by Anheuser-Busch, created in 1921 by Pedro Baptista de Andrade for Compania Antarctica Paulista, now part of Anheuser-Busch InBev, I-N-B-E-V. It's produced in four countries, Portugal, Brazil, Argentina and Japan. In Brazil, it's also in a low-calorie version called Guarana Antarctica Zero. Interesting, interesting, interesting. The taste is mild, slightly apple-like, and it has a berry after flavor. It consists of carbonated water, sugar, caramel color, citric acid, blah, blah, blah. And uh, one of the commercials in 2006 featured the Argentine football player Diego Maradona wearing the yellow jersey of a Brazilian team and singing the national anthem. Do you remember that commercial, Patricia? No, actually, I don't. And uh, you know that Diego uh, Maradona is uh, Argentinian, right? Yes. So that's, that's actually a very That's very why it was powerful. so funny. That's why, yes, that's why it was so interesting. Anyway, Patricia, thank you for the introduction. That is a new one for us, and I appreciate that very, very much. I'm not going to run down to Argentina or Brazil and buy it, but I'm glad you drink, you love to drink it, and thank you for that. And now let's go to Satya Narasimhan and Satya. Where are you, and what do you love to drink? Hey, Bonnie, I'm calling from the heart of Silicon Valley here in uh, Palo Alto, not too far from uh, Hewlett Packard Garage, where uh, famously everything started. Um, I brew my own uh, green coffee beans. I roast them, and uh, that's what I drink. I noticed uh, when I went to a lot of baristas, the best experience is the ones where they actually roast the coffee in the shop because most of the coffee's aroma is created when you actually roast it. So I figured, okay, so how do I get that experience at home? And I figured out the only way to do it is if you actually roast your own beans. So that's what I'm drinking now. Very, very interesting. Thank you very much. What a, a smart and charming panel we have, I have to say. Always interesting talking to interesting people who are charming and insightful, and we have so much more to share with our audience. However, before we go to break, 
I want to say that uh, I'm cheating a little bit today. Usually, Darwin, Patricia, and Satya, they do not let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. Today is a doubleheader. I have another show an hour after this one, and I'm going to be doing interviews with about 15 people remotely at the SAP Automotive Best Practices third annual event in Detroit. But I can't go near caffeine on a day like this because I'm going to be talking all day and I want to I stay calm. However, I did cheat and I had a um, an espresso um, decaf yes an Nespresso egg, Nespresso decaf espresso about a half hour ago. So there must be a little bit of caffeine jangling in my nerves. But officially, I'm only drinking water. So we'll just go with that. I don't want to break the rules here. And Bonnie D. Graham, shout out to Teresa Wade, Carla Neal, Brad Bork, and everybody who is supporting us here. We have a lot of people on Twitter. We are tweeting at hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. You can spell it. You can figure it out. Let's see what everybody is saying. Uh, thank you, Gina at Clay Crew, for tweeting. We appreciate that. Shout out to you as well. I'm looking down the tweet stream here. A lot more to talk about. Very interesting topic. Wherever your company is on your digital transformation You need to think about future-proofing. It's not just about yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It's about many, many tomorrows into the future. How will you stay competitive? How will you keep up with what's changing in your global market, your industry, wherever you are? It's moving fast, and you have to be there. So we're going to talk about some innovative technologies. You've heard them bandied about. We're going to get into the the nitty-gritty, machine learning, IoT, that's Internet of Things, artificial intelligence, blockchain, analytics, big data, spin the wheel of innovation, and we'll see where our panelists are going to take us next. So we're going to take a break, 90 seconds. You can count them along with us. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Kevin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. An unprecedented pace of change, driven by exciting technology advances like the Internet of Things, is disrupting your industry and every other industry around the globe. Your future business success will be influenced by your ability to understand and harness these innovations and many more. Mobile devices instantaneously connecting the world populations, robotics, 3D printing, and self-driving cars. The sharing economy and ubiquitous global business networks. Reality Check. The future is happening right now. Join us for insights from industry experts on what it all means for your business and your daily life. The Future of the Future with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to the future of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of the future with Game Changers. Exactly, the future is right now. Whoops, it's already gone. There you go. After I end a sentence. The next sentence is the future, and now the next 
second is the future, and then it's gone. So here we are today. Darwin Diano at Deloitte, Patricia Florisi, uh, Global CTO or for Dell EMC, and Satya Narasimhan at SAP Partner Business Development. Wonderful panelists, a lot going on here. Our topic is future-proofing your business, digital solutions now. Let's start the roundtable. Technically, we're starting it, although we have been going around and around the table. I'm looking at some notes here from Darwin Diano at Deloitte. He saw, told me before the show, let me introduce this, and he will run with it. He said, digital innovation is about thinking differently. It's about getting out of the box. Darwin, please tell us more. Thanks, Bonnie. So when I think about digital innovation, I think about the possibilities that exist, right? And let's take the winery business, for example. Being able to measure the vineyard temperature and humidity so you could take action like add water to the soil um, if it goes be, below, below expected levels. Or being able to check the hue of the wine without mm-hmm. opening the barrel. Or when you're transporting the wine, being able to measure the tilt so you determine how much the shift has happened and what actions you can take based on that. These are all new data inputs enabled by IoT that, if applied with the right algorithm, can help take the guesswork out of the wine business. So the question really is, what information is available to your business today but may not get necessarily captured in a consumable manner, for example, via IoT technology? What insights will you be able to generate and what decisions will be enabled if these insights become available? And hence, the reference to thinking out of the box, because we collectively have been programmed to think based on the enterprise model, the business processes, organizational structures, and architecture that predominantly existed for more than 30 years. And these boundaries are largely artificial. So what what we're trying to encourage everybody is... You know, let's let's go beyond you know the lens of today. Get out of the box and think about what the possibilities are, because information is available to you, and the technology has caught up to the point that that information can be consumed to deliver very valuable insight that was not available prior. Thank you, Darwin. I love the example. I'm going to invite Patricia Florisi to comment on what you said. Patricia, join us. I believe that we are in the enlightenment age here where uh, there is so much data that is available. And at the same time, you have the computing and the processing power to actually infer information that uh, our quality of life is going to fundamentally, fundamentally increase. I wanted actually to share two data points that I learned myself last week. The first one is that uh, agriculture in 1810, so less 200 years ago, let's say a little bit over 200 years ago, constituted 85% of uh, labor. Mm-hmm. And today is less than uh, 2% or 3% of the population. And if you can actually imagine what is going to happen to so many of our industries and so many of our professions, that is uh, fascinating. The other point is that uh, in the winery industry, one of the fundamental changes that is happening to actually increase the quality of the wine and uh, also the quality of the seed, and we could uh, talk about 
called genome uh, transformation or gene transformation here uh, to improve the quality of the grape itself, but also the agriculture. You, in the agriculture, we are seeing a transformation around the Internet of Things. And I was just reading uh, the other day that the Internet of Things, the term was actually coined in uh, 20 years ago, exactly mm-hmm. 20 years ago. And it took us two decades to actually be able to start capitalizing on the data and on having the processing power to actually analyze the data. So these are exciting times, exciting times. Very, very exciting times. Thank you very much, Patricia. Good insights there. And uh, Satya, we would love to get your thoughts as well. Join us. What do you think? So I want to add on to what Darwin and Patricia said. So why do we care about these additional insights and uh, why going through this enlightenment phase that Patricia mentioned is important and existential um, need. So what I want to put forth is that each business has a predictive algorithm that's driving its business model and we have to be continuously improving the predictive power of those algorithms. Mm -hmm. I'll just name a few examples. So Amazon the way it proposes what should be on your shopping cart. There's an algorithm that's driving that. Netflix, when it makes movie recommendations, uh, there is an algorithm behind that. Google, when you search something and an ad is served to you, there is a really cool algorithm that's driving behind that. There are several other businesses that have effectively used these algorithms. Um, What is really unique about the three that I mentioned and there are also a few others is that by having a really powerful algorithm, they were really able to dominate the space they are in. Um, so when, you, when we understand what are all the data that affects your business outcome, and as Darwin mentioned, when we have these sensor data coming online, and as Patricia mentioned, it's easier for the infrastructure to process these data to create the additional insights. Um, your predictive power for the algorithm that drives your business outcome is actually going up. So I spent about last six years looking at um, developing strategies for various companies, and it always boils down to what capabilities do you invest in that is going to help you outbeat your competition and grow faster than the market growth rate. And to me, um, how you gain market share and grow faster at this point, is really a function of what investments you need to make to really improve the predictive power of the algorithms that drive your business. Thank you, Satya. Very astute, all of you. Uh, Patricia, going back to the question about the origin of the term Internet of Things, you know I looked that up. Just curious, while I was listening to this great conversation, just let me read a quote here from Kevin Ashton, Executive Director of the Auto-ID, Auto-ID Center. He said, I could be wrong, but I'm fairly sure the phrase Internet of Things started life as the title of a presentation I made at Procter & Gamble in 1999, linking the new idea of RF ID in P&G supply chain to the then red-hot topic of the Internet was more than just a good way to get executive attention. It summed up an important insight, which is still often misunderstood. So that's a quote from Kevin Ashton. Does that ring true for you, Patricia? You, Absolutely. We, we... It's a fact. that It started with Procter & Gamble. And at the time, it was also the introduction of IPv6, the version 6 of uh, the IP addresses, that made it possible to have three 
300 plus trillion IP addresses. And that was the inspiration behind his insight, because when he said with so many IP addresses, now anything, everything could have an IP address. And and that was the inspiration behind. Fantastic, fantastic. Thank you. Very, very interesting. We love these little sidebars because this is these are things that might not be top of mind for our listeners, but I think they make good. Uh, excuse me. Call, what we, we used to call it uh, water cooler conversation. Hey, did you know where IoT came from? Anyway, thank you for the inspiration for that, Darwin. Anything you want to wrap up on that before I move to one of Patricia's topics, Darwin? Yeah. So, so just a couple of quick thoughts. Sure. Um, first is I love Patricia's comment about enlightenment. Because there's a lot of fear-mongering about how technology um, will take over what we do. And, and that's nothing could be further from the truth, in my opinion. So um, there, there's certainly a whole stream of topics and conversations about that. Um, and then what Satya said about uh, portability and reusability of ideas, right? Because I have a specific example where I was having a conversation with the client executive about um, a, uh, a beverage uh, liquid flow um, dispenser and how it could get real-time insights. And immediately the executive said, you know what, I could use the exact same technology uh, with my gasoline station pumps, right? So the technology is absolutely portable and reusable. And what we're starting to see is patterns emerge where we start to see some archetypes develop um, as the technology matures. So it's very exciting times and, you know, very, very, very excited to, uh, to be with this panel. Thank you very much. We're excited to have you. Patricia Florisi, I'm looking at your notes here, and you want to talk about deep learning. And we talk <laughs> about machine learning. We talk about machines thinking and machines taking the boring repetition out of processes that have to be done over and over and over and freeing up the human mind, the human spirit, the human brain for more creative things like innovation. And that's what we're talking about today. So let me read one or two sentences here from your notes, and then we'd love to know. I, I think there's confusion around this term. I'd love to hear your thoughts. So Patricia says, deep learning is fundamentally changing how advanced data analytics actually gets done. Having evolved from artificial intelligence and data science, it actually learns by observing data samples. Patricia, love to hear more, please. (laughs) Yes, I am very, very passionate about the direction that deep learning is taking because we have all heard about artificial intelligence, which is actually uh, a term that uh, came up, and I don't know precisely, but I'm sure we can find out on the internet, but it's as old as in the 1960s or 1970s, perhaps, um, where we started with this idea of artificial intelligence. And the way that artificial intelligence started was by teaching computers the rules that we follow to actually execute some activities. So in playing chess, for example, we understand the pieces, we understand the moves that each piece can do, we understand that we are playing against somebody else, we understand very clearly the goal, and we as humans don't, what we don't have is the ability to actually process millions of potential uh, sequences many, many steps ahead to actually evaluate which one will more likely lead to victory. So what we have done is we have taught in the beginning of artificial intelligence the computer to act, we taught them the rules. We wrote 
all of the the instructions, and then we let the, we let it do what it does best when compared to humans in this situation, is to actually look at all the possibilities, evaluate, and then decide which one um, should be taken. Now what artificial intelligence has evolved to, especially with deep learning, is to actually try to teach computers or try to have computers actually automatically learn how we do things and what we do without us actually having to tell it what are the rules. And um, deep learning actually um, learns by observing. The more data that you can observe, the more patterns that you can detect, and the more accurate is the um, generalization. So, for example, let me give you a concrete example. When Mm -hmm. you wanted to, um, before in artificial intelligence, if you wanted to teach the uh, uh, program to actually identify a face, then you would have the, um, you would tell it, look, it's typically this shape and you have typically two things that we call eyes and so on and so forth. And we have a nose and a mouth. Now we actually give the deep learning algorithm one billion faces. And it will then try to infer what is the commonality. There are typically two things, the eyes, Mm -hmm. and they typically are these many centimeters apart. Then there is something that looks like a a nose. The, The computer doesn't know. But then by creating those generalizations, it can automatically identify a face. And there comes the opportunity and the challenge at the same time. On one hand, deep learning needs a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous amount of data because the more samples you have, the more accurate the inference of the generalizations of the abstractions and so on and so forth. On the other hand, how do we actually bring all this data together into a data center or into a cloud for analytics? And when we started with data science, we thought we could bring all the data together. What if we can't? If we are talking about uh, one trillion IoT devices by the year um, uh, 100, right, 2100, I have seen many people talk about one trillion devices. What is do if we have one trillion devices collecting data? How do we bring all this data together? Let me pause here and uh, not take over because uh, uh, it's one of my, my passions. I can tell. We love the energy in your voice, Patricia. This is absolutely <laughs> fascinating. Satya, love to hear your thoughts on what Patricia introduced. Deep learning, data samples, learning what a face is and how to recognize the patterns. Data samples, lots and lots of data. What do you think, Satya? Agree, disagree? Do you want to add anything to that, please? I would like to add to that. So the question here is simple algorithm with many data samples or sophisticated algorithm is let's sample. And I think uh, to me, either one would work the great as long as it meets the outcome the businesses are looking for. And as Patricia was describing this, I couldn't help but draw a parallel to what I read um, during the course of Hurricane Irma. So holding everything else constant about the hurricane, um, the stock market went up on the Monday off, and I was curious why. And I found an article in Bloomberg that basically explained how the forecast for damage was reduced down from $200 billion 
to about $50 million just because the hurricane swung 20 miles in a favorable direction. Um, so to me, that is a great example of when you look at a algorithm with many samples and less sophisticated versus um, a sophisticated algorithm with a lot of um, you know deep um, insights built into it. Um, so to me, the first part is um, we have never seen a hurricane of this magnitude before. Mm-hmm. So to me, um, to be able to predict within 20 miles of the track it is going to go through, uh, that itself is super cool. On top of that, you have taken the storm track and over overlaid um, where the population centers are and what will be the impact on standard of living and the damage assessment um, to come up with even a damage number. Um, that, again, is a super cool fact. And on top of that, people are looking at these damage estimates proactively and making their investments in the market and also um, changing their course uh, based on the actual turn of the events. Um, so to me, these are the examples of how, you know, we, we, don't, we don't wait for multiple of these magnitude of hurricanes, but we learn from any small weather event. We use physics-based simulations and other weather prediction model to improve our insights, and we look for these actual outcomes to map our insights to the outcome and learn from it. And we also do that in the context of what is the uncertainty, what is the question that needs to be answered, um, and then we make the best use of the data, the insights, and the algorithms to answer that question, and then course correct as we go along. Thank you very much. Great insights here, and I love the hurricane example. I don't love the fact that we're back still in hurricane season. I think Maria and Jose are on their way up the, the coast of the U.S., and somebody's whispering Category 5 again, and we're, we shudder. Uh, I have relatives in Jacksonville who were not in the downtown area and had minimal damage to their homes that were located on the intercoastal. Friends in Miami Beach who had five properties, four rentals, and their home also got away easier than expected. So we're breathing a sigh of relief, and I hope the deep learning will say, gee, it wasn't as bad as expected in some places, but it was worse in others. But I digress. Mr. Diano, Darwin Diano at Deloitte, loved, that's a lot of Ds. I'd love to get, get your thoughts on deep learning. What do you think? What do you observe, Darwin? Well, so a different angle from which to look at this is that just as we are very deeply passionate about deep learning and the broader cognitive computing discussion, we also need to make sure that we are passionate about the human enlightenment aspect, I think, um, as uh, Patricia referred mm-hmm. to it, right? And what I'm say- saying is this, right? We need, to be make- we need to be careful about protecting the erosion of basic cognitive skills, which can be a... Mm unintended side effect, right? Um, So uh, I do a lot of work with um, uh, disaster recovery consequences of automation, and there's something that we call the Swiss cheese model of failure, where the holes in any cognitive logic line up in an unpredicted way that has never been foreseen, and when that happens, it requires rapid interpretation responses that may not have yet been built in uh, into into the models, right? And and if we are not careful about protecting the cognitive skills of the humans, 
uh, that would be part that need to be part of the equation, um, that could be you know that could be lead to undesirable things, right? So I think you know my my thought is that just as we are passionate about deep learning. Um, we have the responsibility collectively uh, to be passionate about making sure that um, it doesn't result in unintentional cognitive decline um, for the humans who would be part of the, the business of operating it. Oh, my. <laughs> Tell if me I something again. Yeah, go ahead, Patricia. Yes, please, go ahead, I Chime. I think in. that, uh, number one, you are absolutely right. There are so many uh, side effects, right? And we can either make them positive uh, uh, collateral uh, damage or uh, we can either make a positive uh, collateral, right, as the movie says, or we can make it collateral damage. And I think that's one that we actually no longer ex- exercise part of our cognitive uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, function because the machine will do for us. So we have to train ourselves to do it at a higher and higher order. The other aspect is that in deep learning, you learn by observation. And if the computer actually observes some of our bad practices, it can actually follow that direction. I remember there was a movie, and I, you kill me because I don't remember the name of that movie. <laughs> the man had come from space, and it was living here with us. And at one point, so he was learning by observation. I think that is, for me, the first uh, true example of deep learning in a movie. And um, the, the woman, of course, at some point cannot drive, and he drives for her. And he said, oh, I learned by watching you. And then when he sees a yellow light, he speeds. And he said, and oh. she said, what are you doing? And he says, you know, that's how humans drive. When they see a red light, they stop. A green light, they, they <laughs> pass. But in a yellow light, they accelerate. And, and I think that's in place. We have to be very, very careful. Very, very interesting. By the way, uh, Darwin, I looked up Swiss cheese model of cognitive decline, and I found a white paper by the Railroad Rail Safety and Standards Board. Can you believe that? From August 2008, and it's they're talking about uh, drivers of trains, I guess, and they talk about how latent contributory factors come together to cause an accident, and Professor James Reason developed the now widely known Swiss cheese model of accident causation, and I have a diagram here. Is that what you were talking about? Anything close, Darwin? You know, absolutely, and it actually has been referenced different permutations, like in the aviation industry, uh, for example. It's very, very well referenced when you think about unusual meteorological conditions, ambiguous readings, or um, just pilot inexperience, right? So there are so many factors that I think that that is where, you know, what we're saying is that, you know what, we we, we have the responsibility as technologists to make sure that we set the right expectation and we manage the potential implications and make a make technology resilient. Thank you. And I'm hoping the fact that I could look that up as quickly as I did, sift through about 20 entries on Google, find the one that said Swiss cheese, download the PDF, search eight pages of the paper all while you were talking, come up with the origin of the Swiss cheese model. I hope that proves that human cognitive skills are not in decline. Patricia, do I get a gold star for that? <laughs> <laughs> Very well. That's amazing, you know that. 
That, that's a, it's an addiction. It's called multitasking. I, I love to get the sidebars from my guests because you all drop such interesting terminology and thoughts on us and, and references, and it's not trivia. This is part of the conversation. Satya, the good news is you're up next. The bad news is we're ready for our crystal ball predictions round, and we didn't get to your topics, but you know what, Satya? I think you used a lot of your notes in your conversation on the topics presented by Patricia Florisi and by Darwin Diano. So I'm going to change the order a little bit, Mr. Satya Narasimhan, and I'm going to let you start the crystal ball predictions round to honor you because I didn't get to your list. So please forgive me and please know that I'm honoring you. So Satya, let's do this. I'm going to give you, oh, 90 seconds. We don't, we don't have enough, but I'm going to give you 90 seconds for your prediction. Look into the crystal ball and tell me what you see will change about this vast topic we've been talking about, digital solutions now to future-proof business. Satya, 90 seconds predictions, go. So, Barney, I think um, blockchain is the new black. And the reason I say that is without getting into the politics um, discussion around the politics, if we enter an environment where we are relying on less business regulation and uh, less role of government in how businesses work and um, improve the standard of living for everyone, there is a need for multiple parties in the ecosystem, whether it is manufacturers, suppliers, financial services company, customers, and even the government to work together in a less, uh, in a, in a, in a less, in, in a more efficient and more transparent and a more trust and secured way. And as we talked about some of these other technologies like IoT and um, machine learning, um, there has to be a business process that also takes the technology and drives into the actual practice. And if the environment is correct from a business standpoint, um, with some of the other enabling technologies like blockchain, we would actually see um, these disruptions happen a lot sooner. So one thought I would leave with it would be um, history is being written as we speak. So we may look at these changes as being very disruptive, but we can also prepare for some of these. For example, some of the Satya, nations I'm in, the Satya, I'm going to have to cut you off because I have 30 seconds left for each of the other presenters to give us their predictions. So I'm going to say we'll do a part two and, and save your thoughts. They're brilliant. Thank you. Oh, Darwin Diano, 30 seconds. Give me a quick prediction. We're almost out of time, please. Perfect. Human Renaissance. 50, 70 years ago, we were talking about, you know, we, we had human computers that were going to be replaced by mainframe. Today, we're talking about humans being replaced by AI, machine learning, and IoT, right? It's the same. I believe that technology automated to the nth degree will actually free us from becoming the technology mm-hmm. zombies that we are always on our smartphones. So human renaissance is my prediction. I love that one. Thank you very much. Patricia Florisi, I saved uh, about 45 seconds for you. Go ahead. I have to go with um, ecosystems and business models. I think that the uh, companies that are actually going to learn how to nurture and cultivate and enable vibrant ecosystems, uh, platforms, uh, um, uh, new business models are going to be the big winners. We are redefining how we transact. We are redefining the currency that we actually use 
Engagement plays a major role. Contributions at the connective uh, level play another role. Um, I, I actually believe uh, ecosystem, cross-education, cross-pollination will be key. Thank you very much, all three of you. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Darwin Deanna with Deloitte, Patricia Florisi at Dell EMC, Satya Narasimhan at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. What a conversation we had. Oh, my. I think I see a part two in our future. I will be in touch with our panelists. I'll be back in an hour. You can count down. Let's see what we're doing. I don't even remember which show it is. Oh, yeah, we're talking. Oh, we're re reawakening uh, our older series, Financial Excellence with Game Changers, one of our most popular and we're going to be talking with Jeff Hattendorf, Brian T. Kalish, and Tiago Bala. Tiago's from Deloitte, Carla. Dynamic and agile planning, the impact of real-time actuals. That starts at 12 noon here Eastern Time. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you so much for listening. We are thrilled to have you all on board. Shout-out to our panelists. Shout-out to Kevin at World Talk Radio, our engineer extraordinaire. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Darwin, just like Patricia, and just like Satya. Talk to you in one hour. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management